Hey, do you ever find some passages in the Bible really difficult to understand or to embrace? I do. I do. Um, some, sometimes I have a hard time getting my finite brain to uh, really understand God's infinite mind. I, I have a difficult time um, understanding the balance between God's goodness and his wrathfulness, um, understanding really how, how he can have this perfect will here, and then he also has this permissive will, and he allows some things that are completely contrary to his nature, his character. Um, sometimes it's difficult to understand why he allows some things and, and not others, or why he does some of the things that he does and doesn't do some of the things that he doesn't do. And um, I find it a, a struggle sometimes to understand this, recognizing, again, that, that I just can't fully comprehend because of my perspective everything that God is doing. Um, does anybody else struggle with that from time to time? Am I alone in that? Well, this morning we're going to look at a passage that um, I would just assume skip. All right? And I, I noticed as I was preparing, lots of other pastors and commentators have just skipped over it as well. Because it's a challenging one. This is one of those passages in, in the Bible that I struggle with the most. That if I'm being honest with you, I kind of wish it weren't in there. Uh, because I have a difficult time just comprehending how this could be true. So um, instead of skipping it, we're going to grapple with it. And, and that's how we do it around here. Like, we're not going to just skip over something that's difficult. Um, I believe God wants me to, to have to struggle with some of these things, and I'm guessing he probably wants you to have to struggle with some of these things. And I, I believe there's value in this passage, and I'm hoping to glean some of that for myself and hoping that you glean some of the value as well, all right? I'm sure there's going to be a lot of questions. Some of them I'm not going to be able to answer for you. Feel free to ask anyhow, um, and I'll do my best. And if you have the answers, please share them with me, because I am eager to find them out. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 13, looking at verses 1 through 7. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, please do. It's page 1137 if you have a church Bible, which are in the chairs beneath you. I'm going to actually pray right now. All right, and I'm going to ask you to join me, will you? Um, Lord, I, I just come to you humbly right now. This is a tough passage to fully understand, and, and I pray that um, you'll reveal your truth, your intent behind it, and that we would be open um, to that. We'd have open minds and open hearts, and Lord, I pray that whatever I say that is of you would be heard loudly and clearly, and if I say anything that isn't, then that would be quickly forgotten, or, or you would just. Jesus' name, amen. All right, hang on. Here we go. Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. How's that feel? The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. This is one of those feel-good kind of passages, isn't it? 
It says, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time understanding this when I look at the world we live in and the type of governments and authorities that we are under because they, to me, look like they're anything but good and godly, like they have been established by God. I mean, look at Russia, under God's authority, established by his authority. Look at China, under God's authority, established by his authority. We can keep going around the world, and then we land here. Look at America. Look at America. And it doesn't matter which political party you affiliate with. I think we'd have to agree, it doesn't all look good and godly. Does it? Does it look like it's something that's been ordained by God, established by God, that, that those who govern over us are servants of God? I struggle with this, and yet it says right here very clearly, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. How can that be? If they are not good and godly, how can that be? Well, this is not a new phenomenon. It's not like this is new to us in our generation. It has been this way for all generations. All generations. Just trace back history, and you're going to see that even though this government, these authorities have been established by God, and, and these governing authorities are servants of God, they have not been good and godly men or establishments. Um, so I'm, I'm grappling with this. I'm trying to figure out, you know, how do I apply these words to, to my life? How can this be true? And so um, it's especially troubling when I think about the context in which this was being written to us. All right, so think about this. The Apostle Paul is writing these instructions to us on behalf of God. And where was he at the time? He was in Rome, imprisoned, under house arrest, chained to a soldier 24 hours a day, and he is serving under this good and godly emperor of Rome, a guy by the name of Nero. Anybody familiar with Nero? Anybody have world history? Then you know he was not good and godly, was he? You, you probably even know a little ditty, a little song that talks about how Nero played the fiddle while Rome burned. Anybody remember that, that little thing? So again, 
Um, Nero was an evil, evil man. He was known to have had his mother put to death, his wife put to death, others put to death. He used to light the streets of Rome at night by putting Christians on crosses and lighting them on fire. Okay, this is Nero. He was a sexual deviant. He was anything but good and godly, but according to this passage, he was a servant of God. And Paul is writing this on behalf of God in the midst of that. How do you grapple with that? And yet we know it's got to be true. We know it's got to be true. So I'm still struggling because I still don't have any answers to this. So I'm thinking, well, what do we need to do? I'm thinking we got to go back through history. Let's go all the way back to the beginning, right, and try and figure this thing out. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden, to Adam and Eve. And what happened there? Well, it started out perfect, but then they rejected God as their authority, didn't they? They rebelled against God. They said, we don't want you to be our authority. We actually want to be equal to you because we think we know as much as you do, or maybe we know better than you do. And they were so selfish in the midst of it. And so they rebel against God and his authority, and evil enters the world. Well, that's the beginning. And then they begin to multiply, and so you have more and more humans out there, and it's just chaos because there's no sense of civil authority. There's no sense of order, right? So God institutes civil governance to help protect people in the world, really, from one another. We need laws and rules and guidelines. Those are good things to protect us. God instituted that. He installed, established leaders, authorities over these governments. It was a good thing. But the problem was and continues to be us. We continue to be the problem because we are rebellious and we are selfish and self-absorbed. We're the problem. It's not the establishment itself. It's us because we have rejected God's authority and now we are under an ordained authority, a civil authority, a civil government or governance, which is good, but because of us, it never turns out as good and godly as it would if we just looked to him as our ultimate authority. We followed his will and his ways. So that's part of the challenge we have going all the way back to the beginning. Now, I think a great example of this is really... Um, the establishment of the first king of Israel. The first king of Israel. You guys may know a bit of this story. If you want to learn more about it, read um, the, the books of, of, of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. So go and spend some time in the Old Testament and you'll get, get an idea of what was going on. But, but the Israelites, they were God's chosen people, if you understand that. So God chose them, and he's saying, you're my chosen people. I'm your God. You're my people. You're to be under my authority. And what happened? They rebelled against God's authority. And they said, no, we don't want you to be our king. 
we want a human king like everybody else, like everybody else. And God's like, he speaks through Samuel. Remember, Samuel's a prophet. And, and Samuel tells him, this is not good. Like, you don't really want that. You think you want what everybody has. You think you want a human king. It's not going to go well. And they insisted, God, we want a human king. He said, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you want. Anybody know how that turned out? Not so good. I'm going to get into that in a little more detail, but I think that's part of our problem today. Like when you look at our, our governments and those in authority over us, I personally don't blame God for a lot of the evil and atrocities that we see because, in my opinion, I think God's just given us what we wanted. He's like, I, I don't think you want this, but here you go. And now you have to live with the consequences. You know, we're, we're a culture in the United States where we said, no, and we're all complicit in this. We, we want to take God out of the schools. Okay, we want to take God out of the workplace. We sort of want to just put God in this hour-long box on Sunday mornings. Like, you can still have God in this context, but don't bring him into the other parts of the week, of our lives. And so because we've been complicit in that, I think the governance that we choose and that we receive, it's sort of on us. God's giving us, like with the Israelites, what we ask for. And oftentimes, that's not really all that great. So let's go back to Israel. And so they want this king, and, and God chooses a king, and they, they choose the same king, and it's a guy by the name of Saul, and, and he, he looks the part. Like, he's, he's a good-looking dude, big, strong, you know. Like, he looks like a king. And uh, he starts out really well, if you know the story. Again, you can go read about it. Um, he starts out really well, but guess what happens? He rebels against God. His selfishness gets the best of him, and he falters. Well, in the midst of this, God has anointed another guy, a young man, to proceed, or not to precede, but to follow after Saul. He would be the next king. His name was David. And, and he was known as a man after God's own heart, right? So he's going to be this, this ultimate king of Israel. But if you know his story, he falters as well. He rebels against God and his ways, and he lets his selfishness get the best of him. But in the midst of it, I, I think there's a lesson that we can learn from young David. And, and this is it, that David honored King Saul even when he, Saul, did not act honorably. David honored King Saul even when King Saul did not act honorably. So um, Saul felt threatened by young David as he grew in popularity. Saul became jealous of David, and so he decided to kill him. And so he tried to kill him with a spear. He, he was trying to, like, just pin him up against the wall and kill him. Well, David eluded him. But then Saul ordered that his soldiers would kill David, a mighty leader of his own. Well, 
goes on, and, and despite all of this, when, when David had the opportunity, and this is in 1 Samuel 18 and 19, um, he had an opportunity to kill Saul, but he refused to. He refused to. So listen to this. This is um, an, an excerpt from 1 Samuel, and it's in chapter 24, verses 1 through 13. This is an encounter that young David had with King Saul. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day. This is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed. Did you hear that? The Lord's anointed. Or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called to Saul, My Lord and King! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on, the, on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this place. Look at this piece, rather, of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord, Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. You know, if David had killed Saul, people would have cheered. People would have cheered, and he would have been made the king of Israel. He would have been justified in the eyes of men. But he knew that he would not be justified in the eyes of God. He had to trust that God had a plan. He had to trust that even though everything seemed to be turning to evil, that he had to obey what God had said, that Saul was God's anointed. He had been established and appointed by God, and nobody was to touch him. And David understood that. 
even though Saul was trying to kill him, he still honored his king, the Lord's anointed. Imagine the struggle of that. Imagine people encouraging you, even telling you, this is God's will. Like God has delivered him into your hands. Kill him. This is of God. And yet he knew that that was not the word of God. That was not the desire of God. That was not the clear teaching of God. He restrained himself. He used self-control. He did not touch the Lord's anointed. Would we do the same? Would we do the same? I, I, I think we need to follow David's example. Even though he was not perfect, even though he eventually rebelled as well, he, he was just self-absorbed, he, he was selfish as well. He was not a perfect leader. But he gave us an example to follow, that we are to honor, to respect God's anointed, those whom he has placed in authority over us. We need to remember, remember a couple of weeks ago, we were in Romans chapter 12. Remember some of the hard teaching there where God told us through Paul that we're to love our enemies? He said, love your enemies. And he said specifically in verse 21, do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. Don't what seem, do what seems right in your own eyes. Do what I tell you. Trust me. Because here's the thing. God was going to hold Saul accountable. Just as he will and has done over the years, he holds all those governing authorities accountable for their actions. He holds them accountable. And he will do the same today, and he will do the same with each and every one of us. He holds us accountable for our actions as well. We have to trust him. Remember he said, Leave the vengeance to me. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I'll take care of that. You just need to trust me and obey me. Even when it looks like evil is winning the day. Even when you don't really understand in your finite mind what I'm up to. Trust me. Obey me. That's what David did in that instance, and I think that's what we need to follow. See, even if the authorities who govern us do not act honorably, we're still called to honor them. Even if the authorities that we find ourselves under today do not act honorably, we are still called to honor them. Let that sink in. We're still called to honor them. They are God's anointed. Even though they may not be good and godly. That's hard, isn't it? I'd like to skip that part. But that's what God says. That's what he says. You know, we seem to have lost sight of this. And really in my lifetime, uh, really in the last decade or so, where is the respect and honor for those who are in authority over us? We've lost it. And you know what's really sad? We've lost it in the church. I mean, it's not like we can point at other people and say, look at them, look at us. Where, where have we gone wrong? Why have we quit respecting and honoring those that are in authority? 
And that's what's happening to our children, and they're just following our lead, and it's sad. Um, remember that, that the respect and honor of these authorities, it's not based on their worthiness. It's based on God's worthiness. Not on their worthiness. It's based on God's worthiness. And um, so to respect and honor our authorities is to respect and honor God. And to disrespect and to dishonor our authorities is to disrespect and to dishonor God. Think about it in those terms. If God has established the governments and the governance, those in authority, to disrespect and dishonor them is to disrespect and dishonor God. That's the reality of it. And somehow we, we've come to justify our actions. And we probably look at ourselves and think we're good and godly. And we aren't. We're guilty. I know I'm guilty of this as well. And that's part of the conviction that I've come under as I've been preparing this week. Is I, I think this was a message for me to wake up and see how I've been complicit in this. It's e easy to get self-righteous and, and, and point fingers at others. And yet... All of a sudden, I realized I'm wrong. I, I'm in sin. You know, I'm bad-mouthing these different authorities, and what I'm, in essence, doing is bad-mouthing God. And, yeah, they may be doing some things that I don't think God agrees with, that I certainly don't agree with. But how am I treating them? Is it with respect and honor? No. No. Usually not. Now, here's something that's important to realize. As followers, if you're a follower of Jesus, right, he's still your king, all right? He is your king. And there will be a day when we're told he's going to come back and he's going to take his rightful place as king. And so we are people that are of his kingship and his kingdom, that's who we are right now, even though we live in this world, and we are subject to other kings, if you will. Ultimately, we're subject to King Jesus, all right? And so here's a tough one. Um, sometimes these kings that have been established by God, they're going to go rogue, right? They're going to rebel against God. They're, they're going to become selfish. They're going to actually command you to do things that are in direct, direct opposition to what God has said is right and good. And if you are told to do that, what should you do? Should you comply with your current king, your earthly king, or should you obey your godly king, Jesus? You obey King Jesus first, and then you prepare yourself to suffer the consequences of the earthly king, right? You may suffer because you choose to do what is right in, in the eyes of God, in the word of God. That goes contrary to what our kings, our authorities are calling you to do today. And you need to be prepared to suffer. It, it may be imprisonment. It, it could be death. We see that around the world. It seems foreign to us here in the United States, but it's happening in other places in the world. Look at China. You know, if, if you are gathering like this in China... You can be imprisoned. You could even be put to death if you're leading such a gathering. That's the reality today. The same is true in other places in the world. Sometimes you have to go against 
the earthly authorities that have been established by God. And you need to be prepared to suffer the consequences. But the reason we can do that is we recognize that, that we're now aliens in this world. This isn't our ultimate home, right? Um, we're, we're called to a greater home that, that through this relationship with Jesus, that, that we are just passing through this place. That, that we have something far greater waiting for us. This place of paradise where Jesus truly is the king, where he rules and reigns and there is no evil. There's none of this that we have to deal with. There's only this benevolent King Jesus that we follow joyfully, freely. We're passing through here. But if you look at a lot of our lives, you would think like this is as good as it gets. And we're clinging to this life here. And we're clinging to our rights here. And what we think is just. We've lost sight of who we are as followers of Jesus and that we're aliens in this world. We love this world way too much. Way too much. So ultimately we submit to Jesus and then we submit to the authorities. And when they're at odds with one another, Jesus wins the day. God's word rules, right? But be prepared to suffer the consequences here on earth. And even if it's death, well, you're moving on to a better place. I mean, you have paradise awaiting. So recognize that, know that, embrace it, okay? But in the meantime, we need to stop. We need to stop bad-mouthing our officials, those that we're in authority under. Um, we need to stop bad-mouthing, speaking ill of our president, our representatives, our governor, our board of supervisors, our school board members. I can just keep going on and on and on. If we're under their authority, we need to respect and honor them. We need to show them respect. Our police officers, where has the respect and honor gone? We need to respect and honor those whose authority we're under. Our teachers, we have teachers right in, where has the respect and honor gone? Our children do not respect and honor their, their, their teachers because we have not modeled that, right? Respect and honor them. Your boss, respect and honor your boss. Even if he or she is not the most good and godly person, honor and respect them. Hey, if you play sports, the referees, the umpires, just go on the internet. I can show you lots of different pictures out there where we are definitely not respecting and honoring them. We're called to respect and honor those who are in authority over us. We've lost that. We need to stop it. And so before we speak out, before we take action, before we post something, ask yourself this, as a follower of Jesus, as, as, as somebody that is under King Jesus, is this something he would approve of? If what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do, is it going to show respect and honor for him? and for the person that I'm directing it toward? And if the answer is no, then guess what? Exercise one of the, it's called, this is one of the fruit of the Spirit. 
Most people don't even realize this. This is a fruit of the Spirit. It's called self-control. Did you know you have that? Like a lot of people, you would guess, didn't know that they got this gift of self-control. You know, and, and yet we've been given this gift of self-control. We'll use it. Like before you speak, stop. Before you act, stop. Before you post, stop. Is this respectful and honoring? If it's not, stop. Let's pray. Dear God, I hope something I said was right. And uh, if it wasn't, erase this from their memories. <sighs> this is tough, Lord. Uh, when I look around throughout history, like we've never been under a, a government, no matter how, how well-established, well-intended they were, that has truly been good and godly. And that's because there's only one truly benevolent king, and that's King Jesus. And everybody else pales in comparison. Lord, we thank you for those of us who have come to embrace this relationship with Jesus and to follow him. I thank you that while things don't seem exactly right in this world now, we have the promise that one day they will be. Thank you for that. Lord, help us to do our part, to, to live um, lives that are, are respectful and honoring to you and respectful and honoring of others, even if we disagree. It doesn't mean we have to agree with them, but we can still be respectful and honoring to them as we disagree. So show us, Lord, as I know you do through the power of your Holy Spirit, how to do that. And, and show us, Lord, as I know you do, how to exercise self-control and to be men and women who really model, model, what a life with Jesus as your king is all about. Thank you, King Jesus. And we ask it all in your name. Amen.